And that's the <laughs> intro. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Welcome to Simply Technical. I'm Evan Keaton. Again, I practiced which way to point before, and I ah, didn't point I correctly. Um, that's what you get when you talk for 25 minutes. Before. <laughs> um, we're back again. Episode number 17. It's kind of crazy. We were talking about 17 episodes since we started back in, what was it, January? Started yep, January. Um excited to be here again of course yeah. did we pass did we pass the amount of episodes we made last time no almost i think 20 i think okay the, okay the church what was it uh why millennials are leaving the church yeah i think that was episode 20 <laughs> so we're getting close and it's technically we're technically in season three so i the way i've been divvying it up is each year that we do an episode or is considered a season. Yeah, so like we started in 2019. Yeah, 2019 went through 2020, then COVID happened and stopped. Yeah, so that would have been two seasons. So this is season three. Our last episode though was the COVID one. That was the last one ever before COVID struck. Yes. And we called yeah. everything. We called everything. Yeah, uh, which that's an idea for a future episode of reacting. I don't know how well that will do. I don't know if anyone will actually like it, but. We will react to some old clips and talk about how crazy that time in history, not just our life, but in history, yeah. um, how crazy that was. Dude, I think that'll I wanna, be a good episode. Yeah, it, that would be a good one. I want, But I will say about COVID before we jump into this, I really want a, a like every 10 years we like celebrate COVID and we do a six-week lockdown and we just do whatever we want. <laughs> I can get behind that. I'm just going to take six weeks of leave. <laughs> unpaid i won't survive but it's what it is <laughs> um sorry mortgage company but we're gonna talk about success why don't you explain it because i'm gonna butch it again it's... oh no i i think we're gonna talk about uh there's like this big debate going on okay. always on social media about whether success in anything that you do is more related to your luck or is it more skill slash hard work i think that's kind of what we're gonna talk a little bit about and probably take some branches out into different areas uh, with that yeah and i think we kind of agree but i will definitely play some devil's advocate or and you might play some devil's advocate as well yeah on i think we both can agree that it's majority hard work yeah now there are instances where luck is involved so like say you're starting a business or starting a YouTube channel, you know, hitting the marketing just right or hitting the YouTube algorithm just right is definitely can be a luck thing um, with some, you know, if you're posting YouTube short and it's a, just a scene with you and your stupid friends doing something dumb, you're onto a wall or something and that goes viral. Like that would be more considered luck from my end. Yeah, uh, I mean, obviously you did the work to hit the wall, you know, or, you know, embarrass yourself, but it's still more luck based instead of trying to build a brand. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, have you ever heard of Naval Ravikant? I have not. He's like a angel investor in Silicon Valley. Big deal guy. I mean, he hasn't he hasn't post nearly as much as he used to, but he had like this famous Twitter thread about how to get rich without getting lucky, I guess is what it was. And it wasn't like, I mean, it was clickbaity as can be of anything that's like how to get rich is clickbait. But it was actually like, 
wise advice. He was he admitted at the end of the tweet thread, he's like, this is not about getting rich. This was just that was just my clickbait title. But I think I don't remember exactly what he puts, but but he has like different categories of luck. It's like dumb luck is like what you just said, like someone goes viral for running into a wall. Or dumb luck in life is like, okay, you were born into a billionaire's family, millionaire's family. That's that's just pure dumb luck. And then there's other types of luck, like like I don't remember exactly his wording for it, but it's like you you know take a lot of shots on goal, and eventually something works out. Uh, so it's like a persistence. And then he has the one that's that's essentially like you're so skilled at X or Y, you're such a good engineer that you know when lucky breaks happen in a field. So you're such an expert in the field, you know, oh, I have to jump on this opportunity. Uh, and I'll kind of jump into that one first, because I think that's something that has happened quite a bit recently with all the open AI stuff, like the AI stuff, people, developers that were good jumped immediately on that. I follow one guy who is just like an indie developer and he jumped on those on those AI things and, and started building little, you know, gimme apps and he made like four hundred thousand dollars in the first month with this app <laughs> so just like taking like those sort of seizing the opportunities when they when they come is is a type of luck it's uh i guess using your skills and i i do you have anything to say about that because i i think there's one more type of luck but i don't remember yeah well i can it. if you want to look it up i can or yeah yeah, about yeah. It. so as far as I'll kind of relate those to YouTube since I'm a big like YouTube guy. Like I watch a ton of content. I follow the scene for the most part as far as far as content creation. You know, not that I know every YouTuber or watch millions of hours of YouTube. But like somebody I'd say that is that knows the scene very well, that's a YouTuber that is relatable, is probably like somebody like Mr. Beast. Mm-hmm. He he kind of knows what's gonna hit. He has a good content team behind him. Um, he has built up over the years. It wasn't necessarily like a super, you know, snap of he went viral once. He is constantly going viral. And he's also somebody that he doesn't make a ton of money. Like the YouTube, like the videos pop off, obviously, and get millions of views. And he has like 12 channels because um, he trans like he has so much money and put so much work into it he has people translating his videos into other languages in their, their native language so like that's wild he's recording a video for english and then he has a spanish one and a french one and um you know maybe a portuguese one and so they're like translating these videos for these people um so like he's somebody that obviously pops off all the time he knows the scene he knows a lot of it and he will still have some luck in the background. Like, mm-hmm. he'll still maybe go viral. I mean, every time you go viral, it's all relative. You know, a, a viral video for us is going to be, we get 100 views on something uh, on a normal podcast, a long-form podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, viral for us on a short is going to be 1,300 views, um, even though we can't break the wall past that. Um, so, like, everything as far as, like, going viral and the content scene is all relative. And I think we talked about this in season one with chance a little bit that it's, you're just compounding your viral videos of, okay, well, you know, for season three, for us, our viral videos were 1300 views. Mm -hmm. Well, okay, well they're compounding a little bit. We're getting, you know, more subscribers, more viewers. Okay. Well, the next time we go viral in the next season, it'll be 1600. 
um, or 2000. And so like, it's just compounding. Yeah. 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 I mean, what is the, like the compound interest is like the, the next wonder of the world, essentially most powerful, most powerful force in the world. And I, I mean, you know, what does startups say? Oh, like, uh, 5% growth per month is insane. Like that's, that's, that's incredible before long. You're going to, I don't even know how long it takes to double, like at an 8% in the stock market, it essentially doubles every eight or nine, nine or 10 years, I think. And you know, you, you get on content and in YouTube, those, those percentages can be like 8% a month. And that will massively increase over a three or four year span. So yeah, it seems like the persistence thing is definitely a big part of content. Although if anyone has any tips on how we can break the 1300 uh, view barrier, please let us know. <laughs> Paid position. Yeah. <laughs> we need some nicer, nicer camera setup, I yeah. think. Um, and to add on to that, the, I lost my train of thought. Dude, this uh, is right here. This is going to be the video that gets, gets, uh, 10,000 views, right? Okay. It's going to be the short right We're now. Manifesting it. Yeah. yeah I'm gonna um, clip it. The. Say something. Profound. It's important. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's important to fall in love with the process. I think. And to relate for us, I guess, and maybe for you, you didn't necessarily like the process in the beginning. I could be wrong. Yeah. No, um, no, no. Yeah. Uh, you have to fall in love with the process. You have to enjoy what you're doing. Yeah. Because if you hate it, it doesn't matter if you have 10 subscribers or 10, 10 views or 5,000 or 10,000. If you don't like what you're doing, what's the point? And it's going to be such a struggle to post things. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say at the beginning, I, I didn't like it as much, but also I was a much more self-conscious on saying anything bad <laughs> on, on uh, social media. Now I feel a lot, I still feel a little bit self-conscious, but I feel a lot less because I feel like I have the skills to make money, more money than I do in science. <laughs> if, if I, if something ever happens. So <laughs> it's a little bit less pressure on me. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, just having fun with it is important. Yeah, yeah, that's the big thing. It's and for me, just doing the videos and and talking is is uh, what's fun, and like especially when we have really good guests on, like Connor and Sam. Those those two those two uh, were a lot of fun because it was a lot different than what we usually talk about. I think. And Matt, it was fun. And Matt, Matt. Well, of course, Matt. But we uh, we all talk to Matt all the time. So <laughs> yeah, the other two guys, it's more of a uh, more of a profound thing. Yeah, yeah Matt, yeah. it was. We're talking through things that we've talked with in the background. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's not as, it's not necessarily like not as enjoyable, but it's like the second time you're hearing something or, you know, you're recording your previous conversation basically. Yeah, yeah. I guess, I guess uh, what I mean is, is what Connor and Sam was like, I was learning something, something new, which I, I guess learn, learn a couple of new things with, with uh, Matt when we talk yeah, about Blackhawk Black stuff is especially. crazy. Yeah. Um, so, and then persistence. <sighs> If you follow Gary V, Gary Vaynerchuk, he's talked about persistence, persistence like all the time. That's such a push for him. Of it doesn't matter if you're if you have a bad camera or your content may not be as good this time as it was last time. Mm-hmm. You still need to post if you're gonna if you want to do it full time or want to do it professionally. You just gotta post. Like there's no. You know, even if you get 
a quarter of a subscriber every time you post. That's a quarter more than you had last time. Yeah, that's true. So just posting is just important. But also, I wonder sometimes if the persistence can be distracting from from like actually improving your stuff as you post. <laughs> I wonder how much. I feel like that to me, that's the biggest thing. If, if you know, okay, yeah, you can be persistent and post a lot, and you probably will grow. But you should probably be getting better as you post. Like naturally, mm. you should probably be getting a little bit better at what you're talking about. You should be getting a little better at your video editing process. Uh, maybe your click baiting, baiting abilities, which I still hate. I, I, that's that's the one thing I think I don't like is is every time I post a short and I'm like, I think of a more click baity title. I feel like a a part of me dies inside. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So as far as luck, I mean persistence is kind of throwing throwing the spaghetti i don't know if that's the term throwing the spaghetti at the wall and seeing what sticks yeah, yeah. Mashed potatoes um but yeah you do need to be getting better yeah persistence without skill is not gonna it's gonna lower your chances of any kind of success i think but i also i i really wanted to talk about this whole topic mostly because it seems like the entire world is like leaning towards this idea that everything success is just pure luck and you even see you know group like big time billionaires like bezos or gates will talk about oh yeah i was just i was just lucky it was like right timing which it was right timing that's like the one one piece of luck but but i mean you know say what what you want about gates but if you've read or seen anything about him he was he was like a psychopath back at back in early days of microsoft they were like a, a juggernaut and and that's not luck <laughs> that was like that was hard hard work that that dude uh, put in and same with bezos so it's a weird thing that a whole world is starting to get to this idea that everything is just pure luck like you know elon musk is is pure luck yeah there's some luck of, uh, always a part of there's always some luck involved in anything uh uh big but it's never pure, purely down to luck. If you have, you know, your, what is, I think it was Naval saying that if you have, if you're listening to this or you're reading this tweet thread and you have some, your arms and your legs, you, you are better off than quite a large chunk of this, of the world who has no internet connection or people who are disabled and are unable to, you know, actually do, do much. So the majority of us, you know, are pretty dang lucky. Anyone in the U.S. is pretty lucky compared comparative to the rest of the world. It's just like, do you take some chances? Do you take some risk and try to make something of it? I think they're they want it to be luck. <laughs> and I I guess the quote that I would say is, if you do something long enough, you're gonna get lucky at least once. You know, if you do YouTube for ten years. You're going to yeah. get lucky. You're going to have at least one viral video. I mean, if you, you have to be trying not to get a viral video after 10 years of YouTube. Mm -hmm. um, but I also think they want you to think it's luck, luck so you don't work as hard. Um, you know, obviously, those people are very hard to challenge, but somebody will challenge them eventually. Some Somebody else will, you know, 20 years ago when Microsoft was, you know, I say 20 years ago, that'd be 2003. Um 30 years ago when Microsoft was starting to take off, mm -hmm. 
the you know Jeff Bezos wasn't a thing. Yeah, I mean, he was alive, but you know Amazon yeah. was wasn't probably even planned then. Yeah. Um, so there are people that will challenge them, but I think in their mind it's well maybe we can stay on top longer if people don't challenge us if they think it's luck. You know, we can discourage one extra person by saying it's just luck. Oh, I'm just not, I'm just not a lucky person, you know, yeah. you know, blaming it, something else rather than working hard. Yeah. And I think the view that, that when you view that success or, or is, is predominantly luck that your view, that's, that's a view of the future. Okay. You have this future. Everyone has a future ideal or, or should, and if that idea is, oh, it's all just pure luck, that's going to shape the actions that you that you do today. I think uh, uh, this is similar. Actually, this was my the sort of like foundations kind of of what I was writing and talking about a little bit in the college uh, section at our church was uh, in a from a Christian point of view. If you just sort of you know you have this view that that a, like a heaven and earth are completely separate then then you're gonna you know your your actions today are gonna are gonna point towards well it does the earth doesn't matter you just there's just heaven so that's that's what I I all that matters and and uh, my interpretation is that's not what the New Testament says at all but I think that idea applies to to just regular life is if you think that everything is all random chance then, then you're never going to, you're never going to do anything except just live in the moment. And that's when no luck, no luck will ever find you then. That's for sure. If you're just uh, not making any sort of goal or effort to, to accomplish anything. The, uh, the people looking up at you will call it luck, <laughs> but you'll know that you worked hard enough to become lucky. Um, and, I think that's the people just consider it lucky when somebody makes it because that's the story they help that helps them sleep at night. I mean, <laughs> that's fair. I need to coddle. I think most people in their a lot of their mindsets is they're coddling themselves. Mm-hmm. It's a uh, response to. Well, the thing that sucks is that I don't work hard enough. I don't want to tell myself that. That's depressing or that's sad. I don't want to think that. So I'm just going to convince myself or subconsciously think well it was just luck it was just luck. yeah but you just didn't work hard enough sorry yeah and i think uh uh also like i always sort of proceed with caution when i say it's all about just hard work because i think well yes uh, that's that's part of it but you know there's a lot of people who work extremely hard doing like manual labor jobs you don't end up making that much money it's really about hard work plus leverage. Like, how are you leveraging your skills? And and there's what there's there's three three or four forms of leverage. There's the the form uh, the original form, which is like labor leverage, which is where you have a bunch of people working underneath you. That's the hardest to get. That's that's definitely the hardest to accomplish. Then financial leverage is what took over from about 1900 or the 1900s through let's say 1970s and that essentially was okay. You had a lot of money. You could move money around, as a as a uh, actually as a uh, money bags. You can you have a lot of leverage to to uh, make more money. That's that's why everyone says money begets money, 
And that that's a still still a very common form of leverage. Same with like labor. Uh, those those are still common forms of leverage. But the new most powerful forms of leverage that have emerged, uh, both of them more recently, is is code. So computers, and where you can essentially permissionlessly start in a, a billion dollar company from your laptop. That's that's the the first form of leverage. And then the second one is is media, and where you can start a YouTube channel and you have unlimited scale scale potential on a YouTube or a podcast. Uh, and that's essentially, essentially free. It's not free, but these are new forms of leverage that have just sort of emerged on over the last 30, 40 years that I think people should be taking a bigger advantage of. I think if you're not, I think in, if you're not uh, orienting yourself towards somehow using these tools, then then you're you're minimizing your chance of of sort of having a breakout. Well, I mean, is is smart smartness smarts is that a form of leverage? I mean, being smarter than the person next to you. Um, yeah, or or being smarter, but but seizing <laughs> the opportunities. Kind of kind of I guess how I said said before, if it's it's the intelligence. You're an expert in the field you realize, oh, you can make these new AI things real easy. You make a new app built on OpenAI's API so easily. Well, no one realizes that yet. And so you're a developer and you seize that chance and you make a ton of money all of a sudden uh, after, you know, two weeks of building an app. Like, yeah, so in intelligence plays a role, but I think it's more, more recognizing and jumping on opportunities, taking a little bit of risk. I think that's, that's also something that's not ever uh, or has decreased in the world. Like if you look at, at the stats for, especially for generations a little bit younger than us, it progressively generations have gotten more and more risk intolerant. So we're more risk, I guess risk averse is the better way to put it. We're more risk averse and the generations below us are extremely risk averse. They're not getting their driver's license when they're 16 anymore. And a lot of that might do, have to do with the fact that they're just staying inside on social media. They don't have any motivation to go out. But then you also see like, uh, and I don't necessarily, I don't uh, support these activities, but this is sort of a, a proxy for teenage risk-taking. But like, it's you can, you see that teenagers drink a lot less than, than they did over the last few decades. Uh, sort of indicating, okay, well, are these... Well, what's wrong with these kids? They're they're not, you know, doing any sort of risky things, and I think that will end up translating into who's who's starting businesses, who's taking risks in real life. Because I don't really think uh, without taking, I mean, you don't want to take stupid risks, but without taking any risks, you're you're never setting yourself up for one of those uh, uh, lucky breaks. Well, I think the one of the reasons is you hear stories. I think stories that we hear, the negative stories we hear, are more impactful <laughs> as we as generations go on. Mm -hmm. So, I'm sure you've heard scary stories. You know, the one, oh, I heard about so and so and so and so, and they did this. And so, in your mind, you're thinking, okay, well, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to learn from their mistake and not do that. Well, in reality, a hundred people did that. And the one story you heard was the bad one. Mm -hmm. And so you're just, I, I forget what that's called, but it's, it kind of goes back to this, the psychology of 
your parents are scared of snakes. You've never even interacted with a snake before, but you're scared of snakes because <laughs> because they're scared. Yeah, yeah. And so it's I like, think that's a risk. So, a, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And and it kind of, I mean, it makes sense why we would be that way. Why why does negative or pessimistic views dom dominate our psyche so much more than optimistic? And and I think the answer is pretty simple. Like from a evolutionary biology's perspective, is well, the pessimistic person usually survived. It's as if someone, you know, the optimistic person says, oh, oh, that volcano is not going to blow up while the pessimistic version person gets out of Dodge and uh, survives. <laughs> uh, that's sort of a selection process. And, and volcano is probably the worst example. Maybe let's say like snake, that snake or, or those berries. Oh, let's try those berries and see, see, they look good. Well, the pessimistic person's going to be like, oh, I don't know, might be dangerous, <laughs> and they survive. And I think that's how we get this sort of adaptation to to uh, view pessimistic, uh, have this pessimistic perspective because it's protective generally. But we live in a safe time, like, especially in the U.S., like, risk, it's it's very difficult to be to completely ruin yourself without you know, doing something extremely stupid. Like, I mean, gambling is one, one way to ruin yourself. That's, that's, that's dumb. You don't have any, you don't, the odds are against you. Uh, but outside of that, if you're prepared, like it's pretty difficult to, to ruin yourself. Well, I think socially, I think has a lot to do with it. We're more, yeah. even though we're interacting less social or interacting less like on a, face-to-face -face basis we're still scared of what other people think of us yeah and well i don't want to start this business because if i fail how embarrassing is that going to be when i fail this business yeah that i spent five years on well better not mm -hmm. yeah social social uh standing drives us way more than i think we're aware and like on that note as well as the risk averse note so let's say you have a goal. You want to go from point A where you're at now to point B, which is your your supreme your supreme uh, ideal goal. And generally, in in lot, what if you take anybody's advice, they're gonna say, "Oh, you should do this first. You know, you should you should you know get some experience in this first, and then you should go get in, some experience in this first, and then you should, you'll be prepared to go to point B." And so instead of going from point A to point B, we sort of like take these diverging paths and say, okay, but first I'll do this. And then I'll have the option to later go to B when, when the fastest, you know, the fastest way to get from point A to point B is a straight line and just, just doing it. Uh, but because of social pressures, because people advise us against it and people, if someone's giving you advice, their natural inclination is to give you advice that's not going to ruin you so so because that protects their skin if i give you advice and you go and and uh ruin your life well that you're going to be pretty upset at me so so naturally i'm going to tell you the most conservative path forward if you asked me for some kind of advice but realistically we're i think we're harming or harming each other uh when we do that i think if the person is competent that's one major thing a lot of people are pretty incompetent uh 
that I think anyone can be competent with this, some discipline. Uh, and I think failing will teach you that competence real quickly. So it's better to just do things and fail a little bit. And hopefully, you know, you, you end up succeeding. I think that'll be the fastest way to get to point B. Yeah. The uh, burning the ships on the shore, I think is a good analogy. I don't know if you've heard that before. I haven't heard that. Well, like when Christopher Columbus came, you know, or the conquistadors, they came yeah. to the United States or North America and uh, they didn't like it here. So you know what they did? They burned their ships. The captain burned their ships so they couldn't turn back. <laughs> um, that in college, I heard something similar to that uh, saying of, okay, you're doing engineering. Engineering's hard. Don't have a backup plan. You have a backup plan. You're going to hit a tough wall. You're going to quit and say, oh, I don't want to do engineering anymore. I want to do teaching. You know, that's, you know, maybe that's a little less hard. So in your mind, you don't have a backup plan. You just go, you just do hundred percent. Cause you, if you have a backup plan, you're going to stop You're gonna be like, well, I'm 90%. I'll give 90% effort. If it doesn't work, I'll, I'll be safe. I'll be, I'll do my backup plan, my plan B. So burn your, burn your ships at the shore. That's interesting. I, I had not really thought about it like that, but yeah, that's, that's very true. It's, when we, yeah, when we're not fully dedicated to to whatever our highest ideal is, which I think a lot of us have to think about what exactly it is we want. And I don't think just simply saying, oh, you want to make a lot of money is, is a good goal to have. It's kind of like, oh, you want to do something greater, greater than yourself a little bit. And that's like a, a real motivating, motivating factor. But like you said, having a bunch of backups is going to, is going to send you as soon as the first the first wave comes, you're going to be, uh, I guess, in the ship analogy, you're going to be taking the ship right back, right back home. Yeah, it's yeah, and uh, another factor in that is, I think a lot of our generation and maybe even the younger generation than us, they watch a lot of motivational things. I watch quite a bit of motivational things. It makes me feel good. It makes me kind of get amped up. But if you're always require, if you're requiring motivation to do something from like an <laughs> external source, your parents, your friend, your you know, watching some YouTube shorts or some TikTok to get motivation to do something, you're not going to do it. That is not something that you need to do because you're gonna have to watch motivation every time you get up to go do something. <laughs> yeah, and eventually you're just gonna. The motivation is going to wear off. It's not going to, yeah, yeah. Your brain is going to be like, well, I listened to this video 12 times yesterday and I finally did it. Yes, yep. tomorrow I'll have to listen to it 14 times to get up and go to work or get up to work on something. So, yeah, I agree. I agree with that completely. You know, I, I always wonder, uh, you know, I think the common advice is like, okay, if someone doesn't know what they want to do or, or, you know, uh, with their career or life, I think. But when I say success, success, I don't always just mean career. I think like family success is also a huge uh, factor and definitely is probably the primary purpose for a lot of people. But just to make it easier, I'm mostly talking about career at the moment. Uh, but I think when when people talk about, you know, how do you find something that you really love or how do you find something that really motivates you? And they, the common advice is, OK, you should pursue what you love. But I actually I I've been thinking about this. I think I would amend that a little bit to instead say, pursue what makes you curious. 
because when you pursue sort of what makes you curious, you go into like unknown spaces, you learn new skills. When you pursue what you love, it's generally what you're comfortable with. And you're not going to grow new skills. You don't have these sort of diverging uh, new things that you learn about. So I, I, I knew it sort of like catchphrase is to pursue, pursue what makes you curious because yeah, you maybe you, maybe you're a little bit ADHD kind of like how I am where you have just tons of interests and you dive right into them. Uh, and they don't really connect completely, but I think eventually all the dots will connect in the rear view mirror to where you have this sort of broad knowledge and you can use ideas from different fields to further your own field. Because when you're actually playing at the frontier of a field, uh, uh, the best way to push it forward is to have knowledge from another, another domain that everyone else doesn't in your field doesn't have. Uh, and so that's my, my sort of new thing is, is curiosity over passion because passion, passion usually develops from curiosity, but curiosity or, but just, just purely pursuing passion means you're not going to be growing any, in any, uh, new, new skills or new knowledge, because how could you be passionate about something you don't know about? Yeah, that's true. Uh, Gary V always talks about trying, you know, a bunch of different things. Um, the, and there's no shame. So like, say you're 20 years old or 18 years old and you're trying to figure out what to do with your life. If you have the opportunity, there's no shame in staying with your parents for a couple years to try to figure out what you want to do. I mean, now if you're staying at home playing video games all day, like, okay, that <laughs> opportunity is probably going to wear thin. But, like, use that opportunity to try different things. Um, when you're in school, if you enjoyed certain subjects, I think there's, I guess, a difference between enjoying and passion. Um, you, I think you need to enjoy what you do. Yeah, yeah. Enjoy usually. I mean, when I say just pursuing curiosity, I think joy aligns very well with what makes you curious. If if you're gonna dive into a topic that interests you naturally, that's gonna bring you some happiness. Even if that topic, you know, doesn't keep your interest for your whole life, it's it's still nice to uh, at least know you can teach yourself something. Like I, th I, I always say, I said that on the education podcast, that's the most important skill you could possibly have is the ability to teach yourself anything, but not just the ability, the, the ability, not just the ability to teach yourself, but the ability to know you can teach yourself anything. That way you're not afraid of doing, you know, it, pursuing any sort of field. And that's, that's where you get, you know, big breakthroughs in different projects which I know I don't speak from experience because I have no big <laughs> breakthroughs in any projects, but I, I, I have taught myself many skills that uh, I just purely taught, learned from the internet that I applied to my work and made quite useful for, for our lab. And I hope to do the same with some of the little mini businesses I spin out with the AI stuff recent uh, as of recent, but it's just the idea like, okay, well, how could someone who does biology get into code? Well, cause I don't feel nervous to, I feel like I can learn anything. I can just pull up a YouTube video and 
watch for a few hours and figure mostly figure it out. It's like tinkering, just tinkering around and, and eventually it works. So is there some luck involved with like tinkering like that? Like yeah, tinkering. <laughs> what is it? my favorite writer is Nassim Taleb, and and I I uh, don't want to botch what he says because it's been a little while since I've read his books. But essentially, his entire thesis is on avoiding black swan risks. So black swan risk is like rare, rare event that just completely wipes you out, and that's his big thing. But then, okay, well, how do you pursue the the positive black swans? And which essentially is like, okay, some a positive black swan is a sort of asymmetric gain event. You start a company and it goes goes balloons really quick. And his idea is he calls it convex tinkering. All the big science, all the greatest discoveries in science, or I shouldn't say all, a lot of the greatest discoveries in science happened not by perfect planning, it happened by serendipity. So random tinkering around, fooling around and said, oh, this is this is interesting. Let's dive into this further. And he sort of has this idea that, okay, that's quite a bit, that's pretty, pretty similar with, with a company. A lot of companies start out, you know, they say they're going to do this product and then it doesn't really work out or they find something more interesting when they're developing that product. And so it's called this convex tinkering or, or convexity is basically like an asymmetric you, you pick, picture like a curve it's a curve that's just exponential up to the right and and i think that's that's one way to find interesting things is to just tinker around and and suddenly ideas will come to you well, i mean think of even innovations I'm fat, so I think of food. Um, I mean, think of... I'm sure there's something you thought of, you know, you listening or Keaton. Um, there's something you thought of when you thought of a product that was made by pure luck. There's so many, like, like our modern tires. Those were found... It was found by pure luck. Like, somebody mm -hmm. accidentally dipped their tire in, like, sulfur or the yeah. rubber and sulfur and it like hardened it. And they're like, Whoa, what can we use this for? <laughs> and eventually end up being, you know, the modern tire. I mean, obviously didn't have tread and stuff, but like there's all these different products. And I don't, I don't, I said food. Um, I think like some like potato chips and stuff were found like by accidentally dipping things in hot oil and like all these food products, all these different things. So there is a luck to it. And maybe we would have found it eventually, but, yeah, I probably wouldn't have been that same person. It'd probably been somebody else. Yeah, yeah, but that's that's where I think people can sometimes get wrong is because, uh, yeah, it was luck. I mean, those more so than 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 not, but a lot of times it's luck that can be seized upon by someone who recognizes it, and very few people can recognize it. You have to have the the wherewithal to recognize, oh, this this is actually something big, like, uh. Uh, gosh, why am I forgetting the guy who discovered penicillin's name? Um, Dr. Penicillin. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think it is, but, <laughs> but anyways, he, he noticed, oh, why, why is this, you know, he would leave out Petri dishes, I believe on, on his uh, windowsill. And one day he noticed that, that the uh, bacteria wasn't growing well in a certain spot. And he's like, that's strange. 
what what could this what could be causing this? And just the idea, the idea to think, well, that's weird. I should do something about that. Sort of uh, that's that's where you get the innovations. And very few people are are in the place to recognize that. And I think that's why you have to have a broad knowledge because uh, you aren't going to recognize things without a broad spectrum of knowledge. You're not going to innovate without a broad spectrum of knowledge. Uh, a lot of medicine, medicine is is there's a whole there's a whole part of medicine that's really gaining a lot of steam now. It's like how can we repurpose drugs, drugs that are used for certain things that are actually maybe more useful for other things that we noticed. Oh, uh, there's a huge population. Okay, okay, let's take metformin. And I I will put my cards on the table right now. I don't think metformin is like the secret to longevity, like some people do. Um, but besides the point, metformin is a diabetes drug and probably the most prescribed drug in the history of drugs, if I had to guess. And some, you know, intelligent scientists started noticing, oh, wait, well, how are these diet? Some of these diabetic patients are living longer or they're having lower cancer rates. What could possibly be causing that? And so they looked into metformin and, you know, some lab studies show that metformin could maybe extend lifespan in mice, could extend, it could extend lifespan in worms. So it's like interesting. So now because of that, they, they had the wherewithal to aggregate all this data, you know, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people and said, oh, this could actually be really useful. And that then they applied that knowledge and that actually metformin is the first ever drug to sort of be tested for longevity by, by the FDA. It's not directly testing for longevity, but it's sort of a, a, a proxy endpoint for longevity. And we'll find out in a few years what it, what happens. I don't think it, I personally don't think it will turn out, but just the fact that someone recognized that this could be useful or same thing, a little bit sim similar with the GLP-1 agonists, which are the ones that have been shown to be incredible weight loss drugs. These were originally diabetes drugs, I believe, just to simply lower blood glucose, but I, I'm not for sure about that. And people started noticing, oh, diabetic patients are losing weight. Okay, what is it? Okay, it could be the GLP-1 agonist. Well, let's give it to regular people and see what happens. And turns out it helped regular people a lot. So these sort of things happen when people are ready in, to jump on them and recognize them. And those are a little bit more obvious, like obviously you're going to recognize weight loss, but I don't think cancer reduction in cancer incidence is very obvious because I mean, our health data is pretty, pretty crap. It's like, you know, aggregating all these people's data is not something that's easy to do. And it's because everyone has different doctors <laughs> and all the people are in different systems. So it takes someone with a lot of uh, uh, wherewithal to recognize these sort of things. Yeah, and having the knowledge to place it. Okay, you notice this trend, but having the knowledge or awareness, I guess, to place it towards something. Yeah, exactly. Like for my example of like tires, like okay, you notice that this happened, but like you have to have, I you say wherewithal. Yeah. I can't think of a better word. <laughs> the, um, I keep saying it over and over again. The, 
the awareness to awareness. Well, what if we used it for this? So, yeah. And as as a society, I think we are honing more in on certain skills. Oh, you're an engineer. Okay, stick in your lane of engineering. <laughs> we want you to be the best engineer we've ever had. Okay, well, I like to have a broad scope. I don't want... No, no, stick in your lane. You're the best engineer. You need to... Oh, you're an engineer for um, designing structure. Okay, well, you're not going to go from structure to manufacturing. That's a no-no. Like, you need to stay in structure. That's what you're in. So I think as we we're becoming more specialist based and maybe that's just an engineering thing. Like, Oh, you don't have any experience with this. We're going to have to train you. Okay. We're going to have to train anyone else anyways. Yeah. Like, so we're becoming very specialized. Yeah. And so yeah, this I, a brand, this awareness of multiple topics, multiple um, facets is, is kind of a dying, dying uh, skill set, I guess. Yes. I actually, I'm glad you said that because that is the ultimate. I, it's the entire world's advice. Like one of the most famous phrases of, of all times of all time is the Jack of all trades is the master of none. But I think that, that that's a dangerous idea because I don't think it takes a, it doesn't take a whole ton of effort to be pretty, to be better than 90, 90% of people in a field. Because people don't put very much effort in, in uh, realistically. Now, getting up to that last ninety-nine percent is a lot more difficult. But, but the uh, the master of one trade is the connector of none. Is the better way to say it. So the jack of all trades is able to connect all the all the fields and connections are where you find new fields. That's where you find new innovations. So this whole idea that you have to be in this box is I completely reject that and. I, I I think it's one of my least favorite conventional I- ideas in the world uh, because it's so dangerous. And not only that, uh, if people, uh, which I fully believe that people are going to be living longer, I think that longevity science will take off enough to where we're going to live. So I'm gonna, I, I would say the average age of our generation will be 100 years old. So 20 year, 20 years extra. Do you really want to do the tiny specialized job your whole life? Like our brains are incredible. We have incredible capacity to learn new things. Like who's to say you can't be an engineer in one life and then be a, a history professor in the next next life? And when I say that, I mean like, you know, your second half of your life or something. Second half of your life, yeah. Uh, but everyone rejects that idea and everyone says you have to go to school for four years to do this. And I, I think that's completely ludicrous. I think you can learn the majority of what you need to know on the job. Uh, you could spend maybe a year studying the theory and then throw them into the fire, throw them into the job. And that's where you learn. Yeah. And maybe the specialization is more corporate driven than anything mm-hmm. because I mean, us as people, we want our brains to be pushed a little bit. Yeah. If you're doing the same thing over and over again, not learning anything new, that is boring. I don't Mm -hmm. care who you ask. It might be comfortable, but it is boring. And you need a little bit of, you know, push uh, sometimes. Um, 
in your brain by learning new things. That didn't make any sense, but no, 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 it does. Um, it makes perfect sense. But I also think of like, I make good money right now. Like I make, you know, I'm a single guy or I mean, I have a girlfriend, but single, not married. I've only been working for four years or five years. Mm-hmm. I make good money in 10 years. How in 10 years, I'm going to be making a, like a ton of money. If I continue down this path, I don't know where I'm going with this, but um, like if I become too specialized, I'm not going to be able to find a job somewhere else. I'll be making too much money. I can't, yeah. well, I, don't, I don't know. But what's the most dangerous? <laughs> what's the most dangerous American drug? It's like uh, uh, upper middle class salary and and your the keeping up with the Joneses idea, where you can't possibly get out of where <laughs> you know you hate your job. You can't possibly get out because because you know how else are you going to make that much money? You're so specialized that that you can't find somewhere else that's going to pay you that kind of cash. So yeah, it's a, it's a dangerous place to be in, but also I guess some people just value money more than anything, but I think you can make a lot of money being multifaceted. I think you make way more money being multifaceted because you can start your own things. Usually special specialists don't usually start their own things. I don't think maybe that's a generalization, but uh, in my head, it makes sense. Yeah, and I don't, as somebody, I I lost what I was about to say, Um, the, the being multifaceted can impact a smaller company, I guess. If I'm so specialized, say I'm so specialized in designing electrical systems, mm-hmm. and you know, say I make two hundred thousand dollars a year, well, I can't go to a smaller company. Like I can only move laterally or up slightly to other companies that are large. So yep. I'm like hurting myself in the, my job field. But if I'm multifaceted and I still earn, say I earn two hundred thousand, um, or maybe even one hundred fifty. I can go to a smaller company and say, Hey, you have these three people that do these jobs. I can do 80% of their work or 70% of their work. And I'm one person and I only make 150 instead of, you know, 300,000 or 250, you know, I'm super valuable and you're the man on campus kind of thing. So, yep. Yeah. Um, that's kind of how I was at my last job. I had manufacturing experience, but I was a design engineer. Well, guess what I designed and also helped manufacturing. And like I did, I did one and a half times, I guess you could say yep. um, of a person and that's super valuable to a company. I mean, they, you know, give me raise when I asked for one, it was like, Oh, you want to race? Okay, here you go. Like, because you're doing the job of one and a half people, you're valuable. You understand more and you're more relatable, I guess as well. If you'd become a manager, you're more relatable, you know, multiple different facets. So, you can help manage or teach people in that aspect. Yeah. Yeah. That was a really weird tangent, but no, no, that, I mean, that aligns perfectly. More skills you have, the more valuable you are, especially to smaller companies and smaller companies, more companies are also, in my opinion, probably better to work at because you have so much room for growth. And as a company, you can actually make a difference at a small company. Like, I, I mean, you can make a difference at a big company, but 
you're kind of like a cog in a machine at a, at a, a super large company. Uh, whereas at, at a small place, you're, you're an integral part. And that's not to say like, I, I, there's a big part of me that doesn't want to disparage just, I mean, a lot of my work is just for money. Like that's, that's perfectly fine if that's what you're doing. But I still think you should have some kind of higher purpose. Like maybe you want to be the best dad in the whole world. <laughs> well, you got to actually put a lot of effort into that. And, and part of that is maybe you have, you make a lot of money as, as a primary provider, uh, or maybe you want to make a lot of money so you can give it all, give a lot of it away to, I don't know, some charity you're excited about, or you want to grow your church, or maybe you're just, maybe your side job is to help out with the youth group. Like you don't get paid for it, but you're passionate about it. So you help, help with it. Like, yeah, there's lots of other ways to find purpose. And I don't want to just disparage the people who make a lot of, a lot of money, uh, because a job can just be a job, but I guess for the more ambitious career oriented individuals is kind of what I targeted all my stuff at. The society or a lot of people in society, I guess, very similar. Um, how much money you make and what you own is what determines how successful you are. Hmm. But on a personal level, feeling fulfilled and doing something that matters to you, is successful. Yep. Yep. If you enjoy making YouTube videos and talking on podcasts that get seven views <laughs> and you get eight views, guess what? You're super successful. You <laughs> determine your own success and setting goals and setting milestones that are, are out there, but achievable will give you just probably the biggest dopamine hit you've ever had. <laughs> Yep. Yeah, you have. Everyone has to have some kind of goals. If you don't have a goal, then then what are you working for towards? Like we're such we're such future uh, optimized individuals, and we have to have something that we're aiming towards. Otherwise, we're just going to live day to day, and the day to day life will completely consume us. So, at least set your set your sights higher and uh, and pursue it and go from A to B's my main advice yeah and i think as we've discussed it's not necessarily luck based there are some luck components yes but you being successful you determine your own success by setting goals and if you're making goals that are based on luck you might never hit them um, yeah but you should work hard enough to make yourself lucky I agree completely. Um, do you have any summary that you want to talk about with whether we talked about with careers or um, the success or the I'm losing what we um, success goals. I, I kind of said I kind of did my summary. I okay. My one liner is uh, like make your own luck. Yeah, work hard enough. Work hard enough that the outside people are going to say that you got lucky. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I, if you're always betting on luck, you'll never be successful. That's it. Yep. Yep. That's true. That's, that's it. That's like perfect encapsulation. Um. Any hot final takes. thoughts? Oh, go ahead. Hot takes for you. Yeah, hot takes. Um. The. 
the people, I think as a society, this is probably not a hot ticket. As a society, we're going to become more social or more specialized. I almost said socialized, more, more specialized. But the people that are mold breakers and become jack of all trades will become our famous people, will be the next famous people because they'll be so odd that people will be drawn to them. Hmm. Whether it's, and I say famous, and it could be relatively famous, like, oh, you know, everyone in the uh, manufacturing field knows who Evan, Evan is because he uh, he's so jack of all trades. We ask him questions about everything. Mm-hmm. You know, and that might not be a nationwide thing. That might be an Oklahoma, you yeah, know, yeah, Oklahoma yeah. Thing or a community thing. Um, but those jack of all trades people will become more famous and um, have a bigger platform as people become more specialized. I can see that. My hot take is actually the opposite: is that people will become more polymathic. They'll become more like jack of all trades because the tools of leverage destroys per, destroys specialization. Now. Like you don't have to be an expert in videography. Everything's like built out for you if you want to start a YouTube channel. Oh, you don't have to be an expert at coding AI. As long as you kind of understand what you want to program, you know a little decent amount, AI can get do the dirty work for you. And that's going to be true in a lot of fields. So that's going to give you so much more time to de-specialize and, and, uh, uh, learn new new skills and on top of that ai is going to allow you is you're going to be able to treat ai as your personal teach tutor to learn anything <laughs> i i use it every single day to learn stuff and it's it's so much better than google it's, it's so much better than youtube but before too long it's going to be making youtube videos on on you know topics how to learn topics you could type in I bet I bet within three years you would type in oh, I want to learn about this idea in machine learning and they'll spit out a video for you to learn it and then you put a problem I'm trying to figure this out help me and it'll help you so I think the jack of all trades will will experience a resurgence the renaissance man will return okay um as we wrap up here why don't you tell us how to use AI <laughs> <laughs> how how are you you said you use it every day instead of google how what website are you using and how do you use it yeah i use i use ChatGPT the open ai i bought the the 20 dollars a month version i think it's the best 20 dollars a month you could possibly spend and i mean gpt4 works phenomenal for for science and programming so if i'm pro if i'm working on any kind of data science project you can just if you know coding a little bit if you know how to program a little bit it will, it will improve your programming output 10x. And then if I'm writing and I'm stuck, I'll just say, hey, finish this sentence or finish this paragraph, put it in, and it finishes the paragraph. And sometimes it, I would say the output is not super great a lot of times, but it gets you the ideas flowing. Or if I'm like, oh, what is, I, if I'm reading a science paper, and I firmly believe in science, like I said, that you should be reading papers outside of your, your scope. I'm reading papers on the brain. I work on the heart. Uh, and I don't understand something. I copy and paste section I don't understand into ChatGPT, say, hey, explain this to me. And it will explain it to me. And I go through papers like that every single day. At least, at least one paper in the morning, probably two or three each day. 
most of the time. And then, so yeah, between the programming, the summarization and the writing, it is a, it is like a, a monster on my, on my productivity. It's, it's incredible. Okay. Clip it chat. Um, hopefully that was under 60 seconds. <laughs> um, any, any final thoughts? Nope. What about you? Um, no, I don't have any. So, All right. Uh, this has been Simply Dykel. Thank you so much for watching. Like, subscribe, share with a friend. Uh, clip every moment that I scratched my head and send it to me on Twitter. And uh, we'll catch you guys next time. <laughs>